in the key of F, brother. We just want to welcome you this evening to the house of the Lord. We're expecting uh, some good things this evening. Let's pull this song up, uh, Covered by His Blood. So I am covered, covered, I'm covered by His blood. I'm walking by faith and living in love. I am covered, covered, I'm covered by His blood.
your heart rate up and you've done a little cardio today, uh, you can count that for your exercise. So <laughs> let's sing that song, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, just as we uh, change the order up before we take our prayer requests. So pass me not, O Gentle
for a few days uh, in Arizona visiting family so uh, just uh, remember them for safe travels and uh, please uh, continue to remember dad um, he had uh, an operation yesterday for some banding of uh, some varices so uh, just remember him he's recovering and in quite a bit of pain and some sickness but uh, the doctor did say that uh, it wasn't as bad as the last time and that there is progress so you know, we're grateful for that, and uh, we're praising the Lord for that. But just continue to remember him and as he continues to go through this process. Um, but that's all the known prayer requests that I have. So, uh, But I know we all have unspoken needs, so just by the lifting of your hand, uh, the Lord knows that need. And if I could have uh, Brother Sam Britton come up and pray over this at this time. Let's pray. Dear Father. Lord, you're such a good God, Lord. 
Lord, as we bring these requests to you, Lord, we know, Lord, that Lord, we're putting them in the right spot, Lord, that's at the feet of Jesus, Lord. And Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you would just be with this service, Lord. Lord, help Brother Keith, Lord. Lord, I ask you, Lord, to completely restore him, Lord. Lord, that's what we're expecting, Lord. Because, Lord, you are that great healer, Lord. Lord, be with Brother Barry, Lord. Lord, him and his family, Lord. Lord, as they take some time away, Father. Lord, during this morning process that they're doing, Father. Lord, all these needs, Lord, that are in the, the church today. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would just be with them, Lord. Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, just for everything that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have your seats. If you would just uh, pull up, open the eyes of my heart. We'll just sing a couple songs here before the minister comes and just take a little bit of time to worship. So open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see.
it in the key of C, brother. Let's sing that song uh, in the presence of Jehovah.
have an announcement here or a prayer request just to remember our brother Ben and uh, brother Jason Ashdown who are at work this evening so I just remember them and uh, brother Ethan if you would pray amen let's just sing this as uh, brother John comes this evening he is our peace who has broken down every wall. He is our peace. This evening, um, bring you greetings from Brother Barry. He sends also this news, Brother Elias in Tanzania, and this is close to my heart. Um, uh, some of the brothers and I and Brother Coffee took a trip to Tanzania last Christmas, and it was such a wonderful trip. And Brother Elias was our host, and he took us all over, um, and, and we got to go into, into churches and preach to people and. Uh, such far off places, it was unbelievable, and just the beauty of the place. But he was, um, <clears throat> when you're out there, you have to travel really by motorcycle if you're a missionary. And uh, he was, he was uh, on the motorcycle and had an accident, and he had some head injuries and scrapes. Um, but they sent him home from the hospital, and he's in quite a bit of pain. So let's just, um, if you would, keep that in your heart tonight as we go on with the service. And our missionaries, they risk so much um, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that need to hear it. Amen. And so, um, so especially in these such hard-to-get places. And uh, so we're, we're going to uh, keep Brother Elias in our prayers as he recovers from his motorcycle accident. You may have your seats. And musicians, you may um, have a seat as well. Such wonderful music tonight. I really appreciate it. I um, want to bring a topic this evening called the Servant King. And um, this is from Isaiah 
40 through 55 is when we sort of read about the servant king. And most of us are familiar with Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report, to whom is the armor of the Lord revealed. And it talks about how there is a suffering servant. And if you were an Israelite at the time reading this, you would be um, uh, either one of two things. Either you were a member of the ten northern tribes of Israel who had already been dispersed by the Assyrian Empire. And a lot of those tribes were destroyed and they never came back again. Or you were uh, a holdout from the conquest down in the southern part of Israel. Uh, where the tribes of Judah and Benjamin had formed to create the kingdom of Judah, uh, a little separate from the kingdom of Israel. And, um, <clears throat> and you were in Babylonian captivity. And it seemed like the promises that God gave to your ancestors were just of no effect at all. And this suffering servant that we read about, uh, some people call it Second Isaiah or Deutero-Isaiah, um, these 15 chapters Talk about the suffering servant. And if you're a Jew back in this time, you would see that as yourself in the kingdom of Israel. Uh, suffering here in exile until the time that God is going to bring you back into the promised land. And so, um, so a lot of these prophets that, we'll, that we read, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they are speaking to these exiles. Speaking to these ones that are in exile. And... Um, and giving hope and comfort to them. But what's more, they're bringing a lot of imagery from the exodus of Moses. Because everyone knew the story of how they were in captivity in the land of Egypt. And not through actions of their own, but God provided a way when they cried out to him for an escape from Egypt. And so in Isaiah, in these chapters of Isaiah, you get what is commonly called the second exodus. It's a hope that they had as they were suffering under Babylonian captivity, that, they would, that God would make a way for them to have a second exodus, not from a Pharaoh this time, but from their Babylonian captors back into the promised land. And eventually that happened, and they were able to, to enter the second temple period that lasted until after the time of Christ. So we're going to look at these, seven, these uh, second bit of Isaiah here, Deuter-Isaiah, about the servant king. And, but I don't know that it's... It may not go the way that, that you might think today. So I want to sort of draw our attention. Let's see if I can turn this on maybe. I can handle it here, I think. Let's just take a look at Exodus 14. This is the first Exodus. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand still to see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. You shall be quiet. And... Um, that's hard to do, isn't it? But then he said, you shall hold your peace. The Lord shall fight for you. And so the Egyptian, this, the, the, the Israelites, they weren't rebels. They weren't uprisers. They weren't usurpers. They were just people that cried out to God 
for release from their captivity. And God made a way through his prophet Moses that they could find uh, escape from Egypt. But they didn't have to do anything. He said, hold your peace. I will fight for you. Isaiah 53, speaking of the suffering servant, understood at the time to be Israel. But now we know this is speaking of Christ. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So Christ himself had to fulfill that role of the suffering servant in order that we could find freedom from sin. We have to have our identity in him. He is the one that brings out the true Exodus. The Exodus of Christ, according to Paul, was not just a way to explain the original Exodus that happened under Moses or the Exodus when the exiles came out of captivity in Babylon. The Exodus of Christ is the true Exodus. And those others were looking for it as a, uh, as a, as a type or a foreshadowing of the true Exodus that would take place when Christ would bring us out of bondage and make a way for the entire world, not, not a nation in the Middle East, to be saved. Amen? Amen? A lot of times when we see Paul writing about the Exodus or writing about Moses, here's sort of the idea that we get when we look at that. Moses, um, stories in the, out of Exodus and Deuteronomy that he quoted so much, going right into Paul. But in reality, here is more... Um, Uh, I made this little graphic here of what has actually happened when Paul is writing about Moses and the Exodus. He's not just taking uh, stuff from the Exodus. He is relying heavily on the prophets. And I'm going to focus this evening a little bit on the book of Romans. The book of Romans is probably the most Old Testament book of the New Testament. It um, It has dozens of allusions and direct quotations from the book of Isaiah. And so he is reading deeply into Isaiah. And so the story of the Exodus is being refracted through Isaiah 40 through 55, the new Exodus from Babylonian captivity. That's where Paul is receiving his inspiration and looking back toward the Exodus and even refracted back further than that to creation, uh, Genesis 1 through 3. And so there's a, it's a lot more complex than you might think that Paul is able to weave this tapestry in Romans it's due to what he is able to, to gain from the prophets. And a lot of times we don't really read the prophets. They're kind of in the back of the Old Testament. But they're extremely important. I'll give you sort of an example from uh, sort of where we are here. Exodus, this is hard to read, so I'm going to read it for you. Exodus 23. This is one of Brother Branham's favorite passages. He quotes it so many times. He says, Behold, I send an angel before you. This is Moses talking uh, to the Israelites, giving them comfort as they head into the land of Canaan, I will send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. My name is in him. And Brother Branham said, Now we know that that angel was the pillar of fire. Is that right? It was the light, that pillar of fire that went before the children of Israel that led them. Now we are all aware that that was the angel of the covenant. Is that right? Which was Christ. 
He loved this passage, and I'll tell you why. Because when he looks into this passage, he sees his ministry. This angel that was Christ, Isaiah wrote about it. Isaiah 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah is talking about this reference here in Exodus 23. The desert, that's the desert where the children of Israel are wandering. (coughs) Prepare the way of the Lord. He's quoting from Exodus. Every valley should be exalted. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. Now he's prophesying. He's taking this from Exodus and applying it to the captivity that they were in in Babylon and saying, I'm going to make a way for you to come back. Malachi, after Isaiah, speaks of it as well. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me, and the Lord whom he seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, and whom he delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who is the messenger of the covenant? That's Christ. But... Who is the messenger that will prepare the way before him? Now Malachi is also being prophetic. And he's using information that he took from Isaiah 40 and information that he took from Exodus 23. And he's wrapping it all together and God's given him another prophetic message that says, you know what? Back in Exodus 23, it was the Egyptians that were getting destroyed. But if you read the context that is placed in here in Isaiah and Malachi, guess what? It's not the Egyptians he's preaching against. It's the Jews. This is own people. He's saying, you're the ones now that have gone after other gods. You're the reason you're in captivity. When the Lord comes, the messenger of the covenant, it's not going to be good for you. You are being punished for your sins But I'm going to provide a way. And this time around he says, I will send my messenger and he will prepare a way for me. He will prepare your heart so that you can receive me. From there, we go now into the book of Mark. Mark now is reading Malachi 3. He's reading Isaiah 40 all the way back to Exodus 23. And he has a new revelation. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Now he's prophesying of Elijah. And you might ask yourself, wow, this is really around the horn. You know, how did these prophets go from A to B to C to D? But if you you read it in the context in which it was written, you can see that it's, there's a logical step from one to the next to the next. And it doesn't take a great revelation to get from one to the other, just that spark of inspiration from God. And then suddenly we have such a rich tapestry from that original statement in Exodus 23. It's, um, it's just an amazing thing. So what I want to do is um, kind of forward here a little bit. And talk about another couple of promises from God. Genesis 26. 
I'll make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I'll give you your descendants these lands. This is, um, if you don't know, this is God talking to Abraham. Way back in Genesis 26. Now, Abraham, uh, he was an idol worshiper who left his country, came down. He met the one true God and, and uh, embraced monotheism and uh, believed in Jehovah and changed his family history forever. In, in fact, the history of the entire earth. And as he came down through Israel on his way to Egypt... Um, he stopped at a beautiful place, and God said, You're gonna, your, your people are going to live here one day. And he said, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, this is actually the second time he's repeated this promise. He's talking here not to Abraham, but to his son, Isaac. And Isaac has... Uh, has taken his own journey. And so God is reiterating the promise to Isaac. And he's going to reiterate this promise to Jacob. Jacob actually goes back up to where Abraham received the promise. He digs a well there in Shechem. And and a place uh, north of Jerusalem that really factors heavily into the story of the Israelites. And uh, Jacob's well is where Christ met the Samaritan woman. And um, I don't know if you remember, we talked about those ten tribes that were destroyed by Assyria. The Samaritans were kind of a mixture of, of those ten northern tribes and the Assyrians, uh, sort of a, a kind of a mixed multitude sort of a group. And uh, he met the Samaritan woman there at Jacob's well in the same place where, um, where Jacob had traveled. And once again, God gave his promise that he was going to save his covenant people. Not only that, but through them, he was going to bless the entire earth. So jump into Romans. I'm going to go back and forth a little bit here between Romans and some of these prophetic books. And because just in the same way that Brother Branham looked at that passage in Mark and he saw Elijah and John the Baptist He didn't just see that, but he saw his own ministry refracted all the way back to Exodus 23. As I said, one of his favorite passages. And what a wonderful thing it is for you and I to look into Holy Scripture and see our name on every page. We should cherish those scriptures that talk about the bride of Christ that talk about the ministry of the bride. That's us. When we read that, it it should fill our hearts with hope and gladness and joy because our name, our role is spelled out in Scripture. And so Brother Branham saw his role as the, um, the, the second of that Elijah promise. So John the Baptist came to to point the hearts of the fathers to the children. Brother Brandon pointed the hearts of the children to the father. There is a, there is a split in the, middle of the, in the middle of the verse that distinguished uh, two things that happened 2,000 years apart. Just a simple line break. And what we'll find out, it's not the only time that that happens. So Paul's reading in here, 
He says, Therefore receive one another as Christ received us. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become the servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. So this was Christ's purpose. Because, you know, when they came out of Babylon, those exiles, they came back to start building the new temple. The new exodus wasn't fulfilled at that time. If you read through the book of Isaiah, you'll find that in chapters 40 through 48, there's a lot of present tense oracles being stated by Isaiah. But by the time you get to chapter 49 and you're going into chapters uh, uh, into chapter 53, Isaiah is getting very pessimistic. And why is that? Because Israel is not obeying his 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 uh, pleas. They're not, they're, not, they're not softening their hearts to what the word of God has given to them. And he begins to speak of the restoration of the remnant as something that's going to happen in the future beyond his lifetime after God has totally destroyed the, 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 the city of Jerusalem and the kingdom of the Jews. In 40 through 55, you can see the heart of God turning away from his people and when you read the book of Isaiah. But now Paul picks it back up and says, this is the fulfillment of what Isaiah talked about. Confirming the promises made to the fathers that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. Why did Paul love this so much as he begins to quote Isaiah? Because he sees his own ministry in these verses. God's commission to Paul was that you will be my messenger to the Gentiles. On that road where he met him as a blinding light on the road to Damascus. And just like, um, just as when the prophet Isaiah, the angel came and touched his mouth with that coal to purify him. He said, here I am, Lord, send me. Paul does the same thing. He says, he says, I will go. Just as when Moses saw the angel in the burning bush that didn't consume the bush, he said, here I am, Lord. And, and uh, he was willing to be used for God's purpose. Same with Paul. Paul said, I'm not going to boast on anything that Christ doesn't do through me. In Mighty Signs and Wonders, in verse 19, he says, I left Jerusalem, and uh, he went to the Greeks. He traveled west to preach Christ. Verse 20, and so I made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, look into Isaiah, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who who have not heard shall understand. Paul is reading Isaiah and seeing his name, his ministry, written right in those pages. It's exciting to him. It gave him boldness to go preach to the Gentiles because his commission was to them. And he realized he was the means by which Christ would perform his covenant promise of making the seed of Abraham a blessing to the entire nations. This is a work that Christ is doing. See verse 1. This is not something Paul's doing on his own. This is the work of Christ. But it's not Christ's sandals that are on the ground. It's Paul's sandals. And that's for you today as well. 
It's not Christ's sandals on the ground here this morning. It's your shoes. You need to see yourself in these very verses. Not just as the Gentiles to whom the blessings of God came, but now the ministers that go out and extend this blessing to the ends of the earth. You should see yourself right in those passages. Romans 11, I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Now he's not saying I'm boasting about my ministry. What he's saying was, is I would like to enlarge my ministry. He has a desire still for his fellow Jews. So he knows that his promise from God, his commission, which is as good as a promise, is to go to the Gentiles and bring them in. And he's successful at that. But he says, I, if by any means, I might provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. Why would he be saying that? Because the book of Isaiah is so full of passages about the remnant that will be saved. Now, Paul knows that the, that the Jews have to be punished for their sins and the idolatry that they fell into in Babylon and everything that came along since. Um, what you'll find is when you read these prophets, they alternate blessings and curses, life and death, uh, reflected all the way back to the trees in the Garden of Eden. Warnings not to fall into sin, promises of blessings if you stay out of sin, and the prophets image that as well. So Isaiah just alternates from curse to blessing to curse to blessing, and eventually present curses to future blessings. So looking at those future blessings, he says, there's going to be a remnant of the Jewish nation that will be saved. I would like to be the means by which they are saved. I would like to be the one who preaches to the Jews and brings them in. Maybe I can provoke them to jealousy. He goes on to say a little further, this blindness has happened in Israel until the, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Paul was hoping that in his day, the fullness of the Gentiles would come in. It didn't happen. He was the first messenger. Six more would come. 2,000 years would pass. And the remnant is still not in. But he's hopeful at this point. He doesn't know. Every single messenger has felt that Christ's return is imminent. Yet here we are. But this blindness continues until the fullness of the Gentiles can come in. As it is written, a deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He would like to be the one that does that. He's talking about Deuteronomy 32. They've provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. He's talking about false gods, idols. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. Now he's talking about you. So Paul reads Deuteronomy and he says, you know what, these Gentiles are coming in. Those who did not know God are knowing God now. This could be the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 32, as it's described in Isaiah, that maybe now is the time 
when Israel will be provoked to jealousy in order that they might be saved. Romans 10. But I say that Israel not know. First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I'll move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold. What Paul is saying is, well, Isaiah took it a step further. He had that inspiration, that prophetic inspiration that can take something out of Moses, elevate it a notch. And Paul is going to take it one more step. He says, Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me and made manifest for those who did not ask for me. Do you see how Isaiah changed what Moses said? He leveled, he leveled it up, so to speak. Paul says that was bold. But he was an inspired prophet, and I'm, we're going to go with that. And in this, Paul sees his own ministry. Now, speaking of Christ, the suffering king, the Lord your God, says, uh, God talking to Moses, will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him shall you hear. In Deuteronomy 18.18, I'll, I'll rise up. For them, a prophet like you from among their brethren, I will put words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Christ is prophesied here. That later, that prophecy is picked up in Isaiah. I'm majoring on Isaiah just because it's mentioned so much in Romans. But all the prophets that spoke of the suffering servant, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, it's so worth going back and reading, the, reading those prophets. Hosea and Amos that are quoted so heavily in the New Testament. All speaking of Christ, the true Exodus. I love this, this verse. When Christ took a visit back to his hometown of Nazareth. He went to the um, synagogue, as was his custom. And so they gave him a scroll to read, and it was the scroll of Isaiah. And so he went through it, knowing that all through it, it was talking about him. Everywhere Christ looked in the book of Isaiah, he had to see himself. And he just begins to read Isaiah 61 because he wanted to find a verse that referred to his present ministry. Because when he read, reads the book of Isaiah, he sees his past ministry, his future ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ministry to the Gentiles, and eventually him bringing in the remnant of Israel and setting up his kingdom on earth. He sees all of that, and he applies it to himself, but he flipped through to 61 to find something just relevant to today. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Brother Branham says he stopped there, because if he continued to the next verse... And the day of vengeance of our God, then he would have broken through the time of the Gentiles and down, down to the end, where you get the return of Elijah. Now you get the day of vengeance of the Lord, right in a verse break. 
This whole dispensation of the Gentiles. Brother Branham taught dispensationalism that says there is a time for the Jews, then there's a break. God gives time for the covenant promise that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be fulfilled through the preaching of his ministers to the Gentile peoples. Once their fullness of end is in, break back to the Jews again for their culmination and for the remnant to be saved. Hallelujah. And so he stops there. They're not ready for the day of vengeance of our God. And, he's, and he looks around, and they're, all, they're looking at him. It, said, it says every eye was on him. Why? They're wondering, why did, he, why did he stop there? Jesus knew why he stopped. They didn't know why he stopped. And he says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And they they've totally tried to kill him. <laughs> This suffering servant of Isaiah. Now Paul, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? It's me, Paul. I'm the one that's taking this message to the Gentiles. I'm doing God's work through Christ, through me, I'm not going to brag about myself. I'm just the I'm just the wheels on the I'm just the tires on the car that's that's uh, that's taking this word to the Gentiles. I'm the preacher. When he stood before King Agrippa, he quoted something that uh, Brother Branham loved to say so much. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. The heavenly vision, his commission. When the angel of the Lord said, "Paul or Saul, Saul," just like when. The, from the burning bush, she said, Moses, Moses, if God ever calls your name twice from a light, you'd better listen. <laughs> Once, you, you know, look around, but the second time, you'd better listen. Um, there's a pattern here. He said, I declared it first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout the regions of Judea, then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works fitting of repentance. He says, I'm the messenger to the Gentiles. It's me, Paul. Um, for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Amen? Who has believed our report? Paul quotes, in the book of Romans, he quotes Isaiah saying, who has believed our report? And he says, not everyone has received the gospel. Who has, as it is said, who has believed our report? He is the one, he says, that I'm the one they're talking, that Isaiah was talking about. Who has believed our report? It's my report about Christ. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead. He would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. This is, uh, by this time, Paul's really practiced his conversion uh, story and his, uh, and, and, his, and his commission. First couple of times you read it, it's kind of uh, here and there. But, but now, when he's talking to King Agrippa, man, it, it's, it is on point. It is on the money. And he almost convinces Agrippa. Almost convinces him. And so, um, <clears throat> if God had opened his eyes, I believe he would have. Got a picture here of Mount uh, uh, Gerizim and Mount Ebal. 
And in between there is the valley of Shechem and that I spoke of earlier where Jacob built his well. The Abraham passed through this area and the promises of God came. In the end of Deuteronomy, in the Song of Moses, Moses splits the tribes up into two parts. And they stand at the base of kind of these two mountains and you see the big amphitheater-like area. It seems pretty large, but, you know, we're talking about millions of people. And so, uh, <laughs> or, or, or at least something like that. They stand on either side, the six tribes here, six tribes there. Uh, the ones on Mount Gerizim, I think it was that one, are, are, saying, are giving uh, blessings. And the ones on Mount Abal, then they're giving back the curses. And the Levites, they stand out there and said, uh, you know, cursed is the man who, uh, you know, kills his neighbor's ox or something like that. And, and everybody says, amen, and it rings across the hillside. And so back and forth, it's like a, like a cheer, like a pep rally sort of a thing going on here in, in Shechem. And, um, but these blessings, shouted on one side, these curses, Moses did that for a reason. This, they set up a memorial, an altar here as well. And um, this place eventually became uh, the, the capital of the northern kingdom. And so when the woman at the well said, we're supposed to worship on the mountain, here, here's the place. Uh, this is where they set up worship in, in, in the northern kingdom. Not where God told them to in Jerusalem, but um, it was still a significant spot. But those blessings and those curses that would be reflected all the way through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they'll stand here in, 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 the, in the first of the chapter and they'll shout curses. And then towards the end of the chapter, they'll, they'll change and they'll, shout, and they'll say, but... God is going to have forgiveness on you. And they'll start to bring, to bring blessings. And back in here, these alternating curses and blessings that we see that goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. He says, now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you. And here, I want you to have in mind all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the two trees that are set before Adam. And God tells him, um, what he should do. God gives him the law. The law is given to Adam, not all the statutes and whatever that were given to Moses, but God gave Adam a law. And Adam had a choice to keep the, obey the law or to disobey the law. He, he had the choice between life and death. And uh, there's no uh, coincidence that that's how Moses started his book of the law with that story uh, in Genesis 3. Now it shall come to pass... And you shall call to mind among all the nations where the Lord God drives you. Moses is prophesying here about the dispersion and the scattering of the tribes of Israel because he knows they're not going to choose life. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. But one day you will, he says. (laughs) He's watched them for 40 years. I don't think it would take a prophet at this point to know where they were headed. Um, according to all that I command you today, you and your children, this is to those who are far off, this is going to be generational, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord God will bring you back from captivity. They just left captivity. He's telling them, you're going to be in captivity again, but God will bring you back from that. There will be a remnant that is saved. And have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. It must have been a painful prophecy for the, for the Israelites. 
Isaiah 6 says, Until the cities are laid waste without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate, the Lord is removing them far away. These are the curses, by the way. The forsaken taking place are many in the midst of the land. Now time for the blessing. But a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming. As the terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be in its stump. Isaiah is prophesying again as well. He said, your cities are going to be burned. Your children are going to be taken off. But just like a tree that's cut down and burned, a sapling is going to rise from the stump. In chapter 11, there shall come forth a rod or a sapling from the stem of Jesse. So it's taken all the way back to David's father. There's going to be another David, another royal seed that arises. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Again, he's talking about Christ. This is a promise that's being laid down for the Jews to give them hope as they fall deeper into sin and captivity. On that day there shall be a root of Jesse who stands as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles will seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. Now you have just entered the prophecy. The Gentiles shall seek him. That's you. That's me, and his resting place shall be glorious. Are you resting in him? Amen. Do you seek him? It will come to pass that the Lord will set his hand again the second time. We're talking about the second coming of Christ to recover the remnant of his people who are left. After the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, we, his resting place should be glorious. The rapture takes place. We're with Christ and we meet him in the air. Now, that Hebrew dispensation picks back up where it left off. The remnant have a short time to be saved before the consummation. So we see ourselves in this. And as, uh, you know, the book of Revelation hasn't even been written yet. But Paul is anticipating all this. He preached about the rapture. He's preaching about the dispensations of the Jews and the Gentiles and the second coming of Christ. All right, I want to take a little bit of a diversion here and <clears throat> talk a little bit about Deuteronomy 32. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Remember the suffering servant opened not his mouth. And that's applied to us as well. In chapter... Um, in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul sets up a system of pacifism. Maybe this is uncomfortable. How many in here, are there, how many in here is a pacifist? See, see, it shouldn't be like that. You should say, I'm a Christian, of course I'm a pacifist. <laughs> I want peace, right? God calls us to peace. 
It's kind of gotten a bad name, though, right? And, and so we're going we're gonna to hit that here for a little bit. But he says, vengeance is mine. He's telling his people by the Red Sea, don't just keep your mouth shut. The suffering servant, he opens not his mouth. He's a lamb to the slaughter. <laughs> Nobody raised their hand. <laughs> You've already been talking about bombing Iran, haven't you? <laughs> I knew it. Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. It begins to reiterate. Sometimes we think Paul doesn't know anything about Matthew 5 through 7. He never read it. No, he did. Look, he's, he's summarizing it right here in Romans 12, the Sermon on the Mount. For it's written, where in Deuteronomy 30 and refracted through Isaiah, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Chapter 13, it's another very uncomfortable passage. He says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. We don't like that, do we? <laughs> Um, but he says there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist were appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist bring judgment on themselves. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do what's good. You'll have praise for the same. And this is a hard saying. He is God's minister. He is God's servant. God's anointed to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. He doesn't bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath on him that practices evil. Paul is saying, we don't take up arms against our neighbor but we have a magistrate who we can call 911. And a lot of times when you think of pacifism, you're thinking, uh, these are people that don't even have property ownership. Right? And they, you know, uh, everything, it gets a little extreme. But Paul is saying, hey, no, we want a magistrate. In fact, it's not even his own wrath. It's God's wrath that's being poured out upon the wicked through the magistrate. So law and order is a good thing. Paul is not an anarchist in this respect. And so, um, but he's, he's the right kind of pacifist, amen? <clears throat> also, the tax man is a minister. Sorry, had to throw that in. And so in Isaiah 45, this is kind of where Paul gets getting some of this stuff. Look who's the minister now. The Lord says to his anointed... His Christ, His Messiah. The words are the same. To Cyrus. This is Cyrus the Great, a Gentile. That cuts. If you're a Jew, that cuts. To subdue the nations before Him, to loose the armor of kings, I have even called you by your name. I've named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, there is no other, there is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know me. From the rising of the sun to the setting, that there is none beside me, I am the Lord, there is none other. He's just anointed a Gentile king. And listen, the Jews, if you keep reading here, the Jews are angry about it. They didn't like it. 
They bucked against it. They were looking for a prince of David to be their Messiah. And so Isaiah says, Woe to him who strives with his maker. These are the people that don't like the choice of Cyrus as the anointed. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that forms it, What are you making? Shall your handiwork say he has no hands? He's clumsy. He's an inept potter. That's what the Jews were saying about Jehovah for his choice of Cyrus as their rescuer, as the one who would lead them out of captivity. Paul repeats this in Romans 9. Who are you to reply against God? How does the clay speak out against its maker? God used Pharaoh as well. Not in the way that he used Cyrus, but he still used him. And guess what? The result was the same, that my name might be declared through all the earth. So whether you're a vessel of honor, like Cyrus, or a vessel of dishonor, like Pharaoh, God's going to use you. Paul's looking at his Roman rulers and saying, you know what, some of these are vessels of honor, some of the, most of them are vessels of dishonor, but God has put them in the position they're in, and he is going to use it to glorify himself. Paul, even though he's, he's not submitting himself to human government, he's submitting himself to Christ. Christ says, have peace with all men. Christ says, put yourself under the leadership that I've provided because I'm going to get the glory for it. So you submit your, your political problems, Paul, to me. You submit those to me. Paul, wasn't, Paul didn't even have to suffer under Trump or Biden. Paul, Paul was under Claudius. Paul was under Nero, and he's writing Romans 9, I mean Romans 13. That's hard today, isn't it? We have pretty decent people, really, some of them, at the local government level. <laughs> All right, I kind of want to finish this up talking a little bit about that, the leadership that God has chosen, and another time break. We've seen two, two already, the break between first and second Elijah. The break between, um, oh, what was the other one? Uh, the Gentile dispensation and the Jews returning from captivity. We're going to see another one here that's really pretty profound. There was a time, remember in Acts 18, Aquila and Priscilla, they were fleeing Rome. Claudius had kicked them out. If we read the histories, Divus Claudius 25, it was because the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus. That is a corruption of Christos, which is the, uh, which is the uh, Hellenized name of Christ. And so Claudius expelled them from Rome. He said, all Jews, get out of Rome. Now because of this, when Paul is writing to the Romans, as it's turning out, this causes a demographic shift in the church of Rome. Because now there are more Gentiles than Jews. And even though Nero, when he comes into office, he reverses the edict of Claudius and allows Jews to return to Rome. This is before he killed his mother and before he started persecuting the Christians. He seemed to be kind of a nice nice kid. I think he was about 19 at the time. And, um, but the church, the Jewish part of the church would never recover. The church would remain Gentile from there on out. This is, this is when the church of Rome became Gentiles. All right, so where does this break come? Real quick, Daniel 9, the 70 weeks of Daniel. And 
I want to show you something that's just really amazing to me, that I really kind of had nagged at me and bugged at me for years, and I only recently really took a hard look at it. But um, uh, Brother Branham, he diverges from traditional evangelicalism in a little bit, traditional dispensationalism, because he has a different break from the old to the new than almost anybody else. And uh, recently, probably in the last 20 years, there's been kind of an increase in this idea. But Brother Brandon was really kind of the first ones to start talking about it. And, um, and I've never really seen, when I, when I read um, sort of new ideas on this, nobody attributes this to Brother Brandon. It goes back to a couple of guys that were in the 1980s that came up with this idea. And I'm thinking, no, this was a little older than that. So we get down to the last week, and this, let's just skip to the 27th verse. He shall confirm a covenant for many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even in the consummation. And so traditional dispensationalism says um, Christ was at the end of the 69th week. And now there's one week remaining for the Jews. Seven years of, uh, of that, uh, you know, a day's a year. So week is seven. And in the middle of that week, whoever the Antichrist is there at the time breaks some kind of covenant. Now the Jews not really explain why he breaks the covenant other than he's just a baddie. And, um, and at that point, then, 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 then the um, tribulation really gets bad. God begins to pour out wrath from heaven. And so a lot of people, so, so recently there's been this kind of a new idea of a pre-wrath rapture. Mid-tribulational rapture. It's kind of gaining steam. But this is sort of what Brother Branham was talking about back in the 1950s. Because he said the break didn't happen at the end of the 69th week. The break happened at the middle of the week. So, yeah, Christ came at the end of the 69th week, but then his ministry took place. And sometime after the 69th week, he was taken. And Brother Branham does an odd thing. He applies verse 27 not only to the prince that is to come, the Antichrist, but to Christ, something that bothered me for a long time until I finally um, kind of dug into it a little bit. But he says, reading in the first seal, when the tribulation comes, all right, there's three and a half years, Daniel 70 weeks, the last half of Daniel 70 weeks, which is three and a half years. All right, there's 70 weeks determined. Like how perfect it was, said Messiah will come. He'd be cut off for a sacrifice in the midst of the week. The obligation will cease. Brother Branham is saying, Christ is the one who confirmed that covenant with the Jews, but then he was cut off, and that's when the sacrifice is stopped. When? Not when a future Antichrist shuts down the temple, but 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Amen. That's when the sacrifices came to an end. Amen? It's totally different from what traditional dispensationalism teaches. We read that in Hebrews. not going to go through this. I'm closing. Um that the writer of Hebrews says, 
if somebody could offer a final sacrifice for sin, sacrifices would stop. And that's what Daniel predicted, and that's what happened at the death of Christ. Brother Branham said, if the law could have done that, then sacrifices would have had to cease. But being that it could not do it, Christ had to die to make, it, to make us perfect. Brother Branham knew that when Christ died, that was the middle of Daniel's 70th week, and the sacrifices and the oblations ceased. Amen? But then look further down in the sixth seal, in the first seal. It happens again. The Antichrist now, the prince that is to come, he shall cause the sacrifice and obligations to cease for the overspreading of abomination. He breaks the covenant. What we're seeing here is not Brother Branham getting confused in the same sermon. This is all during the preaching of the first seal. What we're seeing here is the Antichrist setting up his imitation ministry. He wants to be the one that people look to. He's the one that wants to be the one that breaks off the sacrifices. And here, 2,000 years apart, we have the true instance and then the false instance. Right there in, in the middle of Daniel's week, there's a break. Amen. I'm going to skip through some slides and just get to the wonderful point at the end. These are totally fun, but. Isaiah 11, in closing, the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea. With his mighty wind, he'll shake his fist over the river and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over a dry shod. What is Isaiah talking about here? A second exodus. This was not fulfilled at the time of the Jewish return from captivity. Isaiah said it wasn't. He said it's going to be after. It's going to be after. And he prophesied the root of Jesse that would finally bring in the remnant. Now he's talking about the future. But he's referring to the exodus of Moses when he says this. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left in Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. What's going to happen? That Antichrist is going to break the covenant. The church is going to be raptured. Those prophets are going to stand in the street of Jerusalem. The 144,000 are going to come to knowledge, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, who shows them the wounds in his hands and his side. And that root, that, that sapling that grew up from the burnt stump of Jesse is going to make himself manifest to his brethren. Amen? It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And what he's going to do is he's going to take away their blindness. He's going to put the salve in their eyes. And they're going to see, their eyes are going to be opened, and their hearts are going to be pricked because they'll realize their, the folly of their ways for so many years. And I'm going to leave you with one beautiful passage repeated twice. One shall say, heap it up, heap it up. Heap what up? The roadway that travels through the desert for their return to salvation. Prepare the way. Take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up a highway. Take out the stones. Lift up a banner for the peoples. Such joy and rejoicing. The bride is with Christ in heavenly places. Christ has revealed himself to his brother, the Jews. He's about to take and break the nations, remove all borders, 
and bring about his kingdom here on earth. It's a wonderful time, amen. Are you thankful for the prophets? I am. Such a rich tapestry to go from Deuteronomy, but yet refracted through all those major and minor prophets to reach the understanding that the apostles had. And then, the, then finally, what we have in this day, it's almost unthinkable. I'm so grateful for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful message. Thank you for demonstrating that you've not forgotten about your covenant promise that you made to the Jews. Why is that important? Because we want to believe the promises that you make to us. And we know that those promises are going to be fulfilled in Christ, but you're waiting until that last precious Gentile soul comes to you, at which time you're going to take us up and then return your attentions to your disobedient people and bring salvation and joy and restoration I thank you for your promise to fulfill it. Not in a spiritual way, not spiritualized like a lot of, lot of, lot of denominations teach, but in a real way. You're going to bring the remnant and you're going to restore them. It's such a glorious thing. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this congregation. I pray that you'll just give us joy this week as we go through our work days and um, Just let us think on the good things of the Lord. When we have to close our mouths and suffer in silence because that's what you've called us to do. I pray that you'll just give us strength, give us peace, give us rest. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Musicians, you can come back. Let's uh, let's stand and... um, you know what I'd love to sing is uh, the days of Elijah. Is that in the key of G? Or the days of Elijah. These are the days of Elijah. I love that song. These are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of
Jehovah. There's no God like 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 Jehovah. Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. Behold, He comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, lift your voice in the year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, lift your voice in the year of Jubilee. And out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Amen. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, that fits. That song fits so well. Let's sing uh, Fill My Cup, Lord. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up. shouted out blessings and curses. He had been there all the time. He said, if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. But I'll give you water that if you drink of, you'll never thirst again. No more need for sacrifice. Just as the angel of the covenant went to prepare the way 
for the Israelites. He's in heaven preparing a place for us. Amen. So that we can come to him. It's a beautiful thing. And because he lives. Amen. I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. All is gone. Because I know he I can fail.